0: Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter, ideas shape markets, ideas can change the world. A number of years ago, it was very odd, actually, uh, years and years ago, it was very odd at a a physical security conference to bring in IT or cyber. just was very odd. It was this whole idea of convergence. Uh, It was still an idea. It was kind of interesting when I joined the security industry uh, 20 something years ago, we still had people saying, don't put IP devices on the network. Uh, We want to go with an analog video system and have our own independent security network because God knows we can probably protect our ERP system, but we can't protect our video system for some reason. So, so we, we had that kind of mentality uh, 20 something years ago and kind of the same mentality with convergence. Like the last thing we want is IT getting involved with our physical security system and and the, the guy's responsible uh, for cyber, uh, that's the manufacturer, right? The manufacturer will protect me. And so I run into this Great guy who happened to be at the time working for uh, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, and I think I listened to him on a broadcast or in a in a uh, physical forum, and his name's Mark Weatherford. And at the at, at the time, I go, Mark, uh, I have this physical forum, the Great Conversation. I'd love to have you come in and share the mindset of a a CISO. And, uh, and he did that very well. In fact, it was one of the best presentations we had that year. And I, I wanted to catch up with Mark. It's been, I don't know, about eight years, seven years since uh, I had Mark at The Great Conversation. He's been in a lot of different companies since then. Uh, I want to first catch up, let you know what he's doing. We'll let him express that. And then I, I have some interesting questions for him. So Mark, welcome to The Great Conversation.
1: Thanks, Ron. And uh, yeah, good to catch up. It's been a
0: while. It really has. And so let's do a quick catch up. Uh, You know, I I cheated a little bit, all of you. Usually this is purely unscripted, but we just had a few minutes uh, to catch up. It's been so long. And my gosh, you're, you're investing your wealth, which is all the lessons you've learned over the years in many different young companies right now, I understand. Yeah, I, uh, I, I left
1: uh, my last CSO job about, I guess about 18 months ago now, you know, just literally one month before uh, COVID changed the world. And uh, I was already on the advisory board of, of a few startups, but my goal when I left was to spend some time writing uh, and spend some time just kind of nurturing and mentoring uh, entrepreneurs. And so I did that. And the the first week I, I was off, I was the the CEO at the National Cybersecurity Center called me and asked me if I would, you know, consider taking a job with them. I'd, I'd already been on the board of directors there for a couple of years. Um, and, you know, the, the last thing I wanted was to jump right into a, another full-time job. So we ended up, I'm I'm the chief strategy officer at the National Cybersecurity Center now, but it's really in a part-time role. And then, so I really spent the last year and a half um, kind of growing a, a portfolio of advisory roles. Um, and that also led into some opportunities to invest in, uh, in some small companies early, early on. And really just kind of nurtured them along and, you know, most of them, you know, I can't even, I I have a a, a tough time staying in a conversation when it gets really technical because these, these guys are so brilliant, but, um, but, you know, I do have some wisdom. And and as you said, you know, we have some, some scars and and scabs on our elbows and knees, you know, from making mistakes. And uh, so I think I've been, you know, that's the value that I provide to a lot of these organizations. And then uh, earlier this year, um, CEO of Alert Enterprise, who was a good friend of mine, um, asked me to come and be his chief security officer. And I had the same conversation I did with the National Cybersecurity Center. And that's, you know, I'm not looking for a full-time job. So I am the, the part-time virtual CISO at uh, Alert Enterprise now. And uh, on top of that, I, I write uh, I write a monthly column for uh, for governing magazine. And I'm also on the, uh, the, um, the writer's board at Forbes magazine. So I write at Forbes every now and then whenever something intrigues me. And, um, but you know, it's, I don't have a full-time job. And I I tell people that I'm probably far busier now than I, when I had a full-time job. Um, but it's really fun. I, I, as I tell people now, I work for who I want to work for when I want to work, and uh, and and how I want to work. So, it's I have I have a, a, the great luxury of being able to do that these days.
0: So, what um, what is the National Cyber Security Center all about, Mark?
1: Yeah, this was uh, it was actually the vision of Governor John Hickenlooper, now Senator Hickenlooper. Um, back in 2015, he had just been to Israel, and he was um, uh, walking through. He had been looking at the, the entrepreneurial community in Israel and he said, why aren't we doing something like that in the United States? And he came back and he started tossing around some ideas and basically decided that, you know, a nonprofit focused on helping uh, state and local governments um, and perhaps uh, small and medium sized businesses in cybersecurity would be something worthwhile because, you know, at the time, the Department of Homeland Security was, was really focusing on big critical infrastructure, big Fortune 100 companies, Fortune 500 companies. And, you know, I've, I've said for a long time, my little catchphrase is, you know, the Fortune 500s don't need help, but the unfortunate 5,000s need a lot of help. And so that was really where we focused. And, and over the last five or six years, we've kind of standardized on three pillars um, of of work um, and education being one of those. So we do a lot of education outreach, not just at the state and local government level and at the small and medium sized business level, but um, we're embedded in a number of educational institutions um, and and growing. Uh, In Colorado, and the Western United States, primarily right now, um, in a lot of schools, K through 12, um, we have classes going all the time. We hire educators to actually come in and deliver, um, uh, you know, deliver curricula for uh, for kids. And it's been it's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, One of the other pillars uh, is we were in 2019, we were designated as the. Um, executive director of the Space ISAC, Space Information Sharing and Analysis Center. So we've been growing the Space ISAC um, and getting more and more um, companies that um, have a role in space to participate in. Um, We aggregate um, threat and vulnerability related information around cybersecurity in the space industry and we share that out with all of these different companies. Um, been very exciting. It's actually maybe one of the most exciting things we're doing here. Because, you know, we have companies like Microsoft and Boeing and NASA and Ray. I mean, we just have all kinds of companies that are involved with us uh, on the space ISAC. And the third one was one. I won't say we just fell into it, but our timing was good. And. um. And we did, uh, we're involved in voting security um, about four years ago. And, you know, <laughs> if you look at what's happened in, in, the, in the world in the last four years, voting has been a really big deal. So, um, so we're doing that. In fact, I was just, um, just last week, um, my former boss at DHS, uh, Janet Napolitano, she started a, an organization called the Center for... Security in voting—I think that's what's called—Security uh, Center, Center for Security and Voting—and um, she asked me to participate on that uh, group, and that's out, uh, operated out of the University of California, Berkeley. So, so those are the three pillars of the of the NCC. We're, we're a nonprofit, um, and we're just really devoted to helping the nation. Um, uh, small, and medium-sized businesses and state and local governments across the
0: nation understand um, more about cybersecurity. Well, you know what's so fascinating about that is that you really do have a lot of experience thinking locally and small, as well as globally and large. Yeah, and, and exactly. You to have that perspective across that continuum is very rare. Uh, And it kind of leads me to the next question. Since you are working with leading edge or even leading edge technology companies uh, as startups, what's, uh, without referring to the individual companies, what Mm -hmm. are the, the key categories you think are getting accelerated because of global risk conditions, socioeconomic? Climate change. What are some of the technologies you see as just rapidly accelerating here? Things we should be watching out for.
1: Well, and this is going to sound almost cliche, but I think artificial intelligence has a, um, ha- it, you know, it's 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 so important right now, and it's it's you know we we it's growing faster than we can actually keep our fingers on the pulse of it. Um, which is a little bit frightening. Um, So one of the companies I work with is we are, we do artificial intelligence for artificial intelligence. So what do I mean by that? What I mean is we are, we have uh, developed artificial intelligence technology that essentially ensures that other artificial intelligence applications, systems, programs are doing what they say they're going to do. We don't want artificial intelligence becoming, um becoming prescient Uh, you know it's a kind of a who's watching the watchers kind of a company so our artificial intelligence technology is really focused on ensuring that other artificial intelligence programs are doing what they say they're they're supposed to do and not more than that Um, one of the other and this is more of a broader category more around uh, zero trust has become kind of a buzzword these days and, and people apply it in, in a variety of different ways that may or may not be accurate. But zero trust really is around, you know, making sure that, um, that systems and applications and people and, um, and technology is, has no more uh, authority and access than what they should have, what it should be granted. Um, so identity is a big piece of that. And a couple of the companies I'm working with um, are both uh, focused on physical identity and also on logical identity. And how do we manage that? How do we ensure that um, that a device is doing uh, what it's authorized to do um, in a way that it's authorized to do it? How do we know that people are doing um, that they're granted the right kinds of access and that they can't escalate that access. So identity is a big one. You know, uh, Wendy Nather, she, uh, she's with Cisco now. She was actually with with Duo Security. She said something a few years ago that I quote often. She said, the perimeter today is anywhere you make an access control decision. And boy, I tell you what, that could not be more accurate. You know, we used to think of the perimeter as those, those edge devices in our environments. But you know, the cloud has completely blown that up and, and you know, perimeters are, uh, you know, where um, it's, it's, it's ubiquitous now. It's everywhere. So um, I think identity is a, is a huge piece of, of the technology arena. And, you know, I guess um, <clears throat> fundamentally coming back and when I put on my operational hat, I think about risk. You know, risk is is kind of the foundation of security. And, you know, you don't spend thousand dollars to protect something that's worth hundred dollars. Um, so and, and that's not trivial. You know, sometimes it's hard to figure that out. Um, but but making those kinds of risk based decisions is really important for a company that's investing in people and technology.
0: I'm glad you brought this up. By the way, fascinating that you bring up those three areas and also they, how they juxtapose your work at the National Cybersecurity Center and um, how interesting is, it's almost if I was designing a portfolio, how they all work together yes. Yeah. support each other. So your, your zero trust company, if you will is all about the identity of identity, do what you say you're doing. And so is your artificial intelligence company. How, how fascinating yeah. you've got two companies dealing with essentially the same uh, same problem. Um, so uh, that's a fascinating from a portfolio standpoint. But let's go to um, some fundamental building blocks to AI uh, uh, because we're seeing it at a... Am I right? I should ask. We're seeing AI at a device level. We're seeing it at a systems level, a platform level. Um, and what I'd like to know is, is, and this is all about moving from where we are today to the benefits of an AI condition. Uh, it seems to me more than ever to get the full benefit of that we're going to have to integrate systems a different way. We're going to, that is the aggregation of the data, the machine data that AI would pick up on, learn from and act on is going to require a different level of integration than we've ever had before. Am I right on that?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, And it's, it's, you know, AI is, you know, AI is making decisions that, um, that we don't know about. And, you know, one of the biggest challenges, and people often think of this as a as a, um, a, pers- a people thing, but one of the biggest challenges with AI is the introduction of bias into the decision-making process. You know, you and I have biases. You know, we, everybody has biases. And the people that are writing the algorithms that I, AI is making decisions on, are their, they have their own biases. So um, uh, you, you know, being able to to trust that AI is not biased in its decision making is really stinking hard, um, and it's it's probably well, it's the, it's the one of the things that people legit, legitimately criticize AI for today because well, I think it was I think it was Amazon three or four years ago had built an AI platform to help them in their, um, in their HR and hiring processes. Um, they came to find out that the people that wrote the application, you know, their own internal biases, pretty soon they were hauling, hiring all white males. You know? And it wasn't intentional, right. but the way they asked questions, the way the, the algorithms were making decisions, you, know, you end up with a result that's absolutely opposite of what you intended for it to be. So that's the thing uh, that, that we, I think we need to be really careful about with artificial intelligence is that, you know, that we're cognizant of our biases and that we're able to intuit uh, biases that,
0: you know, that we may not be aware of, if that makes any sense at all. No, it does, it does. In your uh, again, in your work with the National Cybersecurity Center, it, it's clear to me. You know, what, what percentage of our economy is actually small, medium business? I, I think it's pretty high percent, like, like
1: ninety percent.
0: Yeah, I, okay, ninety percent. I don't know uh,
1: if that's what it is. It's it's a big number.
0: It's 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 a big number. So so I was thinking about that. They're also the most vulnerable. Yes. Right. Exactly. And and, and so it's kind of intriguing to me, especially when a cyber event at a small-medium business level is like an end-of-company event. Yes. It's it's, yeah. it's not like a breach that can be taken care of by insurance. The very fact that your system's down, how many small-medium companies can afford to be down for any period of time, right? Yeah. Much less lose their customer data and so forth. So what... Um, what are we going to do about that problem? It it, it almost strikes me since they can't do it on an individual level, there's gotta be some kind of uh, fabric they're gonna have to tune into one day that does it for them. And I don't know if that's an Azure-like platform, a Google-like platform, a Microsoft Azure platform, but it almost strikes me, businesses are gonna not be able to have their own servers anymore. It's gotta go to an as a service model And it's got to be, you know, it's almost got to be automatic if you're going into business for yourself. Am I right?
1: So, so, uh, you know, I've been on record for a couple of years now saying, you know, technology has got us into this problem that we have. Technology is going to get us out of this problem. And I do think it, it, I don't know that I, that we're going to, you know, that we're going to have to mandate that everybody moves to an, as a, you know, as a service model, but, it's certainly where people are going now. People, I mean, you know, I can, you know, because they're, this is a little bit off track here, but because of the dearth of cybersecurity professionals, you know, right now there's, uh, the ISC squared just put out a, their 2020 paper on this uh, that said there's about, I think 359,000 vacancy, vacant positions in the United States alone and over 3 million vacancies worldwide of cybersecurity professionals. Well, if there's not enough eyeballs and fingers to do the work, we have to figure out an alternative way to do the work. And I think, um, in fact, I just wrote an article last month in Governing Magazine on this, that um, said, you know, the, the managed security services provider environment is a legitimate solution for companies that have a manpower shortage. Um, this is basically, you know, where you hand off the, the security management of your company to a, a company who does it for a living. Um, and, you know, we've, we've talked about this on and off over the years, you know, and there's good and bad points, pros and cons of doing that. But I think we're in a place now where there's almost no choice for companies that can't hire enough people right. um, that they have to do that.
0: Uh, go ahead. Well, it's, it's so interesting Uh, I brought this up recently, a podcast I did quite a while ago was with a CISL of a major hospital. And, uh, he had just taken over within the last year, a, the physical security technology. He took it under his umbrella. Okay. Which big deal, a huge deal, but ready, wait for this. Then he was named as the tip of the spear for the digital transformation of the hospital. Wow. And and I started grilling him on that. Why why would that be? Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, if you think about it, what's the biggest impediment to digital transformation? And that's the fear (laughs) of a breach against these IoT devices, right? Yeah. And so naturally, if you're going to start anywhere, you're going to start with somebody who knows how to architect it in such a way that it can be safe and take off it's a digital transformation I thought those were two major trends there that we're going to see in the industry
1: yeah you know it's funny not to not to make me sound like I'm smarter than I am but I think six or seven years ago I gave in fact I may have done it at one of the, the, the great conversation events um, I gave a presentation um, and and I said you know what this IOT stuff is coming we have an opportunity now to get in front of it um, in five years, we won't have this opportunity. And unfortunately, we weren't paying attention to me way back then. Um, but, um, you know, there are, a, IoT is just, is, is huge. I mean, it's, uh, one of the other companies I'm working with, in fact, I'm on the board of directors there now, is a company that's doing um, IoT, what we call software bill of materials, s uh, software B- bill of materials was a big piece of the president's um, executive order in May uh, to say, um, basically, if you're a vendor and you're developing software, when you deliver that software, you need to have send the the recipe card with it. So, you know, if I'm buying, you know, your your application, I need to know where all of that software was developed, who developed it, when was it was developed. Um, what patch levels is it currently delivered at um, so that I know um, when a new uh, vulnerability in a, in a piece of code comes out, I can very quickly do an assessment, say, do I own this code? If I do, then I can figure out how to go back and fix it. So I think, you know, and, and IoT is just, you know, it, it just, it, it mushroomed so quickly um, that it was hard for us to stay
0: in front of it. Especially from a security perspective, it's so funny you say that. You know, we call it a sensor-driven world right now. Sensors on yeah. everything, which, everything, which is the IoT world. And I remember um, at the time, uh, a guy who was head of Amazon was. He said we were taken by surprise how quickly the um, uh, uh, the uh, Alexa was adopted in the <laughs> consumer space, and yeah. you know, they're all you know. Uh, all we heard in the press is how everyone. I'm not going to let Alexa listen in on me, and that's all we heard—the negativity on the press. But what have you and I learned about uh, when it when it comes when it comes to cybersecurity and trust? If if uh, if if I'm giving up my privacy, I'm probably doing it because it's a lot easier and it costs less if I'm giving up. I'm exactly. Giving up, right? And yep. Alexa made it simple to use, simple to install, and very, you know, very something that eased my daily living. And I think we're seeing that in business too. We're going to start seeing oh, yeah. decisions, you know, CEOs make decisions, balancing risk and opportunity, navigating those two things all the time. Which brings me to my last question. Are you seeing the the various personas of risk within inside a company, CISO, chief security officer, are you seeing the personas of risk beginning to finally act as advisors on business decisions?
1: Well, that's a great question. In fact, I just, I just wrote a chapter in a book about this. Um, and the answer is maybe. Um, the answer is it depends on the maturity of the company. It depends on the maturity and the cyber awareness of the board of directors you know, are, you know, and the, the executive team. Are they bringing the CISO and the CSO into those conversations? Because a, a lot of companies simply are not mature enough to be able to do that, to recognize that they need to be able to do that. Um, but I do think, and, you know, going back to your earlier example with the, the CISO at the hospital, you know, CISOs are more than just the, you know, the geek wearing the black t-shirt today. Um, you know, they're, they are being brought into these business discussions because so much of what's happening in a company, you know, you know risk versus opportunity you know my last company we we purchased a few companies or we went out uh, we were on you know doing MA and and a couple of these companies I said you know we can we can pursue this but there's a lot of a lot of security risk with this company and not just with um, the way the product's been developed there's security risk in in where the development has been done you know if, if the development was done all in China or done all in Russia, you know, depending our customers may not like that. And I will tell you one, one company, um, they had, uh, the majority of their portfolio was department of defense customers. And I said, you go to a department of defense customer and your code base was developed in Russia. Guess what? You can kiss that, that your, all those customers gone. They're, they're not, you know, they just can't do that. So, So, you know, that's just a risk-based decision. Again, risk versus opportunity. Um, And I would say the more enlightened companies and more and more companies are becoming enlightened, but the more enlightened companies are bringing the security officer into those business conversations.
0: Fantastic. Well, Mark, uh, it's certainly been an amazing career you've had. And it actually warms my heart that these younger companies are seeking you out uh, at just the right time, too, at yeah. the action point they are having on their growth, so you can put that in the context of all the different risk factors that are going on in business and society. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to catching up sooner than last. Yes, time, of uh, course. To see where these different companies go, so let's promise to catch up in six months to yeah. see where, where you're at on some of those things. How's that sound?
1: Good. I hope I hope a couple of them will have made exits by then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this has been a great conversation with Mark Weatherford uh, and who plays chief strategy officer, chief security officer, and all around good um, good advisor uh, to to uh, startup companies uh, uh, in that are right now accelerating in this new global condition. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Ron. Glenn. I'm really
1: happy to be here. Good to see you again, too. By the way.